Hey everybody. No songs this week. Sorry, I have a storyboard episode two on Friday. And I'm just gonna take a quick little break to intro and outro this podcast and maybe you'll get something fancier next time. But it is not this day. But hello, welcome to My Sister Made Me View It Books Edition covering The Way of Kings by Brandon Sanderson. Uh, this episode, there was a little bit of, uh, when we recorded, there's, there were some audio clicks all the way through and, and Emily's done some audio editing magic to make it a little better. But if it, if it sounds a little wonk, if it sounds a little whack, that's the reason. Uh, I'm excited. We've gotten to the end of part one and Emily gets to see her beloved Seth again. Oh, congratulations. I hope you and the murderer will be very happy together. Anyway, that's all I've got. Do I usually say other things in the intro? Well, apparently not this week. (laughs) Sit back, relax, and enjoy listening to My Sister Made Me View It. Take it away, theme song. everybody, my name is Megan, and I should be storyboarding. My name is Emily, and I have a deadline and should be working on my book. But we're going to do a podcast. We're going to do a podcast. This week, we are talking about the first set of interludes, Ishik, Nanbalat, and Seth. Dun, dun, dun. Emily, are you so excited that Seth is here? I am so excited. I'm so excited. I'm so excited. I've missed that man. Oh. Uh, so it's been about a week between Emily getting to read this and us actually recording because I was hitting a deadline last week. And so I'm like, no procrastinating, which I guess like makes me a really good and professional board artist, but a really horrible professional podcaster. <laughs> But with this, we officially reached the end of part one. This is a much shorter reading than normal. So I'm also anticipating this to be, hopefully, a shorter podcast episode. So that we can go and read the next stuff. Okay, but (laughs) Emily, in general, what did you think about the interludes? I thought they were super fun because they take us to different places that... We haven't been to before in this great big giant world. We've only really been focusing on the Alethi and the Shattered Plains. Is that the right? Mm-hmm. Okay. The Alethi at the Shattered Plains and... Uh, Alethkar. Yeah, that's the name of the country they're oh, in. Oh, got it. And then Shalon is in... Calbronth. Very close. Carbronth. Carbronth. Uh, so I have the map open here. So our first interlude takes place... Uh, at a place called the Pure Lake. Emily, can you find the Pure Lake on the map? Oh my goodness. I'm looking a little higher. I'm looking a little higher. Just a little higher. No. I've watched her pa- I've watched her eyes pass it like three times. You said higher. I'm looking at the top of the map, Megan. <laughs> Sorry, you were looking at the bottom left side here, of the frostlands. You dummy. Sorry, it should have been like warmer. <laughs> warmer. So the Pure Lake is <laughs> <laughs> Pure Lake is right at the center it's of right in the, the, the landmass on the map. Yep. Uh, Emily, tell us about the Pure Lake. 
it sounds like a really wonderful place to be. This, our point of view character's name is, okay, correct me, but Ishik? Yeah. And we just follow this fisherman who has a very interesting way of speaking. He seems very superstitious. Mm-hmm. And he's just out fishing. How deep is the pure lake? It's like ankle deep. Yeah. Like they live in the water. Like from what I gathered, they have buildings in the water and they just walk through the lake. Yeah, like really the, the deepest part of the lake is six foot maybe. But it's it's mostly like, like you're saying, ankle deep, shin deep, knee deep. And they build their houses to let the water in. It's not like they're on like floating floating homes or floating boats and stuff. They're just, you walk around in the pure lake. Which I was like, that's so cool. So cool. We get some really good insight into the culture, which we'll talk about in a second. But he meets up with these three people who have hired Ishik to go out and search for someone. And he hasn't had any luck. (laughs) Who who are they looking for? They're looking for some dude named Hoyd. I don't know who that is. (laughs) So Emily has discovered Hogath's name. Hogath is Hoyd. There is no Hogath in Bossing (laughs) Say. Which, listen, for a guess, that was okay. That was amazing. Thank you. So when we find out the guy's name, I've written Hoyd in giant four-line tall with, like, underlined, underlined, underlined. We know his name. Oh, Hoyd. (laughs) Everyone at the Pure Lake, they stroll around very slowly because everyone tries not to splash, but they do try to like walk through. But he talks a lot about as he's walking to meet these people, he talks about how minnows shot around his toes, common types, not worth anything. There are a lot of mythical, mysterious fish here at the Pure Lake. Do they have powers? Is it just superstition? Ishik never like directly tells us. But he finds one fish, like his his... When he's talking about, this is what I've caught today, he's like, four aren't so great, but one, we find out, uh, cures aching bones for a month and gives you the ability to tell if your friends are coming by the shape of, like, you can read clouds to know when people are coming to visit. Like, that's the gifts of this fish that he has found. Which I was like, that's cool. Who does he give the fish to? He gives it to the... In, she's not an innkeeper, but kind of like a the... Yeah, she, she owns the closest thing their town settlement pretty much has to an inn. Her name is M-A-I-B. I'm going to call her Mabe. And he lets, lets us, the reader, know that he and she have this back and forth where she wants to marry him. And, you know, he's like, she gives him free soup because he's had a terrible day, which puts him in her debt. And too many more bowls and he'll have to marry her. But then he gives her this fish that can, you know, cure your aching bones. And that puts her in his debt. And it's just a fun little runaround. Mm-hmm. And so you mentioned a little bit of the culture about how he talks. I was really confused for a minute until Meg helped me out. Because he does explain it to the foreigners. But he speaks aloud of one god. But he thinks a different name inside of his head. So he, he goes to Mab's place. And when he sits down and he's talking to the strangers, which he he names the strangers, he doesn't catch their real names, but he just calls them stuff based on their appearances. So he calls one of them Thinker, one of them Grump, and the other one Blunt. 
Um, but they are meeting today to talk about this person that they want him to look for. Yes. And Ishik uh, isn't entirely sure where from Roshar these strangers are from because they don't quite look like any nation he's been able to pin down. He lists all the places he's been. He says Fu Rallis, Fu Namir, Fu Albast, and Fu Morin. And he says, Nobody, nobody's seen this guy that you're looking for. And they're like, are you sure? Are you sure you're asking the right questions? And he's like, yeah, dude. Like, he gave... They're like, he can dye his hair. Yeah. (laughs) He gave me very surfer Californian vibes sort Uh of a thing. I'm just like, hey, guys, just chill. Okay? It's fine. Everything's fine. Because he's been this very, like, upbeat cheerful person i just love yeah him. so like those those three those three foreigners they're they're sitting at a table in, in mab's mab's place mab's place um they have their feet up on little stair stools like he knew already where the foreigners would be sitting because it was the place where they could get their feet out of the water and ishik's like why would you want your feet out of the lake he thinks um, they're ridiculous but during their conversation somebody mentions the god that he thinks but doesn't say out loud and they're like Swear, I don't know if they ask him to swear on such and such. Sorry, it's been yeah. a week since I read this. Yeah, yeah like, he says, swear by the name of your God, and he says, And Ishik's like, what? that's not my God. And Emily, can you explain what the, the Pantheon situation is? Mm-hmm. So the stranger has asked him to swear by New Relic, or New Relic. I don't know how you say it. And Ishik says, don't say his name. Are you idiots? And they're like, well, this is your God. Is that not, can we, are you not supposed to say his name? And he says, foreigners were so stupid. Of course, New Relic was their god, but you always pretended that he wasn't. Van Makak, his younger spiteful brother, had to be tricked into thinking you worshipped him. Otherwise, he'd get jealous. I thought that was so clever. So he'll say the name of the younger brother out loud, but when he's thinking or not quite saying prayers, but like he's, when he's thinking things in his head, he'll think the name of the older brother of the god. Mm-hmm. Can you find the description of the man that they're looking for? Yes. Possibly. Let's see. Okay. He says, uh, I have looked diligently. No foreigner like the one you mentioned with his white hair, clever tongue, and arrow-like face has been seen. And then Grump says, he dyes his hair sometimes and he wears disguises. They're like clutching at straws at this point. But that's who we're looking for. Now, Emily... I'm going to give you a couple more Hoyd hints. Okay. So usually in a Cosmere book, if you're looking for Hoyd, he will be described in dusty black clothing. Okay. So if you find someone with a sharp face, white hair, although the hair can be different colors sometimes, and, you know, dusty black, that's usually Hoyd. Good to know, good to know. Or uh, as someone at a conference I went to once called him, Hoed, and I was like, excuse me? But it was because they had read Elantris first. And in Elantris, the rules of how you pronounce the vowels are different. Oh, man. So Hoed became Ho and Id. And so she called, she's like, oh, yeah, this character shows up. According to the rules of the book, his name is Hoed. And I was just like, I don't like that. So these three strangers start talking and then they switch into their native dialect, which Ishik can't understand. And he just daydreams. Like, he's just, like, he has no, he just starts thinking about, like, what he's going to do that day. Like, he's he's not trying to figure out what they're saying, you know. 
he said he didn't bother wondering why they were looking for this Hoyd, whoever he was. Foreigners were always looking for things they couldn't have. Um, so I mentioned what, what he called each of them, Thinker, Grump, and Blunt. But let's talk about what these three strangers look like. Okay. Two were dark-skinned Makabaki. 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 Though they were the strangest Makabaki he'd ever seen. One was thick-limbed where most of his kind were small and fine-boned. And he had a completely bald head. The other was taller with short, dark hair, lean muscles, and broad shoulders. In his head, Ishik called them Grump and Blunt on account of their personalities. The third man had light tan skin like an Alethi. He didn't seem quite right either, though. The eyes were the wrong shape, and his accent was certainly not Alethi. He spoke the Sile language worse than the other two and usually stayed quiet. He seemed thoughtful, though. Ishik called him Thinker. And he says, wonder how he earned that scar across his scalp. I wonder. I wonder. So, Emily, I know you don't know very much about Roshar and stuff. Can you hazard a guess as to where they're from? I mean, the only dark-skinned ones that we know about are the Parshendi, but... That's not the same That doesn't at all. sound like it. Um, and he says he's tan, like an Alethi, but the only... Oh, I don't have my notebook. The only one we have so far are the Thalens, mm-hmm. have the long white eyebrows, Parshendi, Alethi, and then something that starts with N, and they have light blue skin and wear gloves. Mm-hmm. That's all and we've then- got so far. They've just mentioned, now you've learned about the Makabaki, mm-hmm. who have very dark skin, but are usually uh, quite delicately built. They're not, like, super solid built. Pretty cool. It's just a fun, like, glimpse into this other world where Ishik is just like, yeah, I like walking in the water, and I like not having a shirt on, and I just like my life. And he's just really happy and cheerful. And when it's all done, uh, like, he's like, yeah, I searched. I couldn't find them. Um, and he just heads along his day. It doesn't doesn't mean anything to him and he listens to them below oh uh the three strangers two of them do call each other by name grump calls blunt vow v-a-o or veo uh veo wasn't the man's real name ishik was sure they used fake names and then blunt calls him temu so veo and temu are the fake names that we have dun 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 that was our that was our glimpse of the pure lake uh, now we go to a much less casual and joyful atmosphere. <laughs> We're going to talk about Nan Ballot. What did you vote for on your Nan Ballot? <laughs> Nan Ballot is Shalon's brother. Is he her oldest brother? He is her oldest living brother. Because the other one well, is her, dead. Her oldest brother at home. I thought he had one... They talk about one, starts with an H. He's dead, so now... He's left. Oh, he's left. So he's not dead, even though their dad told them he's dead? Their dad has told them he's dead. We don't know for sure if he's alive or dead. Okay. When Emily was reading this part, and she's like, oh, so the older brother's dead, and I paused for a second, and I remembered the history of what, like, actually happens with this brother, I just went... And I clapped both my hands to my face because I forgot about Helleran's story. And then I remembered. And that's just something you'll have to look forward to of horror. What, yeah, what got him away from the house and what happened after he left. So he's the oldest one at home. And so he didn't always go by Nanbal. (laughs) No, I'm taking (laughs) your way. Nanbalat. 
Um, can you find the place where you talked about where the brothers are numbered? Should I write it Do down? we have your right notebook in here? Nope. Oh, hold on. Time out. Let me go find it. Okay, I'll wait. Sorry. This is a present for Emily later when you're editing. I just want you to know that I love you. And I'm having lots of fun doing a podcast with you. Okay, we're coming back. We gotta be quiet. Okay, I found it. Okay, coming in. Sorry, we should have waited to make sure you had your had everything. Prop-ha. I'm so excited to get started. Papa equipment. All right. So Meg was kind enough to explain this to me when I was reading this. You get the name Non when you're the oldest. Asha. So it's so this man's name is Balot, but he is called Non Balot because he is the oldest. Non is an honorary title. The honorary title for the second oldest is Asha or Asha. I don't know how you say it. And then the title for the third one at home is Tet, T-E-T. Shalon doesn't get one because you're a girl. There might be daughter names. I I will have to check. I'll Maybe because there's only one. Names. Yeah. It's like in Regency era mm-hmm. where they... Uh, but... If we were boys, you would be non Emily <laughs> and I would be Ted Meg. <laughs> um, so non Balat is at home in Yakaved at the House of Devar. At House Devar. And what's he doing out in the garden? My notes say, ugh, ew, gross, disgusting. So you know guys, everyone has their way to like stress relief or calm down for some people it's fidget spinners and so for some people it's plucking your eyebrows and shaping your eyebrows and you just have something that when you do you're like ah it's like a little mini stress release plucking your eyebrows yeah to shape them nicely okay so that you look nice maggots okay (laughs) but hidden beneath bushman eyebrows (laughs) princess diaries so this what does bleepity bleep. What does he like to do? He likes to pull the legs off of small crustaceans and tear these animals into tiny pieces. And he, t- oh, 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 he talks, we won't go into detail, but he talks about it in great detail and how much better he feels after he does it. Like, <gasps> this interlude starts with, Nanbalat liked killing things, not people, never people. But animals, those he could kill, particularly the little ones. He wasn't sure why it made him feel better. It simply did. Okay, and Megan and I talked about that. That is one of the things. One of the three things in the serial killer triad that you got to look for. I don't think this is real science, but this is television science. Uh, warning signs that uh, you may have uh, psychopathic or serial killerly tendencies are... Killing small animals, wetting the bed, and lighting fires. So far, Nambalat's only showed one of these, so he's fine. I'm sure. He's fine. I'm sure it's fine. It had been nearly six months since Shalon's departure. That morning, they'd had word from her via span raid. She'd succeeded in the first part of her plan, becoming Yasna Kalin's ward. What do you think span raid is? I'm wondering if it's some sort of... I know, because I feel like... So where are they on the map? <laughs> they are in Yaakov Uh That is a 
smaller well it's it's still pretty big it's right next to alith car mm-hmm. and that's where shalon's family home is mm-hmm. yakoved they're not exactly a lethi but you know shalon we know from shalon that she's voran she follows the voran religion and she wears the same kind of clothing she covers her safe hand a lot so we can uh infer that culturally they're very similar so where's kalbron i want to see how far away they are Kal- Kalbranth is right here. So, I mean, so it's a good land. Yeah, just south of Yakoved, there's it's the Tarat Sea, uh, and that touches Alethkar as well. So I don't know if they like send it by some like Homer pigeon sort of an animal, or if it's a, a some sort of fabrial thing that you can do with your spheres, or like you know fire calling like in Harry Potter. I don't know. That's the end. Listen, I just, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Oh, we learn from Nanbalat's, Nanbalat's. <laughs> sorry, I'm sorry. She got me. I got you. We've learned from Nanbalat's weird uh, habit. We learned about a couple other critters on this world. We learned about a creature called a songling, which is kind of what we would have instead of songbirds. They are also crustacean, but they scraped their ridged shells together to make tunes and each one sings a different beat and like kind of different notes or a melody and we meet his pet scrack which is an axe hound scrack is an axe hound this is not a dog it's so funny because like emily mentioned it was a dog and i was like hey emily what is, what does that dog look like she's like i don't i don't know <laughs> and i'm like uh maybe you should maybe you should read the description she was sleek and lean, six legs extending before her as she sat on her haunches. Axe hounds didn't have shells or skin. Instead, their body was covered with some fusion of the two, smooth to the touch and more pliable than true carapace, but harder than skin and made of interlocking sections. The axe hound's angular face seemed curious, her deep eyes, her deep black eyes regarding Ballot. Dang it. <laughs> Blot. <laughs> um, so he leans down and scratches behind the animal's ear holes. So, like, it's not very cuddly. It's a weird, it's a weird dog. Yeah. Um, there are some interesting things. Um, so we also find out he's a, he's crippled. Yes. We don't know from what, do we? I don't think they specifically this point? say. Okay. Uh, but their oldest brother, Helleran, is missing. Father has told everyone he's dead. And so the title of oldest brother has moved to Balat. Mm-hmm. Um, he, so he's quote unquote the oldest and he's talking to his axe hound saying, you know, only Shallan could have done this. Only Shallan could have gone and become Yasna Kalin's ward. Like we know this, but he says, I still feel like a coward for staying behind and not going and doing this thing. Um, and you get a sense from him that he's very invested in his family. I don't know how much of his dad has rubbed off on him. We don't get a whole lot more, um, a whole lot more, uh, insight into, you know, into this, uh, just that they were a broken family. Years of suffering, their father's brutal temper had driven Asha Jushu to vice and Tet Wilkim to despair. Only Balat had escaped unscathed. Balat and Shalon, 
She had been left alone, never touched. At times, Balat had hated her for that, but how could you truly hate someone like Shalon? So he's like, yeah, I got off scot-free as he sits there and rips the legs off crabs. He's like, I'm fine. It's great. It doesn't affect me. Not at all. So it says that Asha Jushu has turned to vice. What vice? I'm thinking gambling. That sounds like a rich person's problem. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, Ted Wilkham has turned to despair. despair. So I'm picturing him as like a a young Victorian male poet who's... Mm -hmm. I love her, I love her, I love her. She refused me. I cannot go on. Throwing himself across Shay's lounges and pillows. Uh, Do you think Shalon got out unscathed? I think mostly. I mean, it almost seems like her brother shielded her. I'm Mm -hmm. hoping, here's what I'm hoping, Mm -hmm. that... How awful their dad was that the siblings banded together. That's what I'm hoping, that it's not going to be sibling against sibling. It's not going to be a, a, um, a, now, oh my gosh, I'm blanking. Downton Abbey? No. The Last Airbender. Oh, Azula and Zuko? Yes. I'm hoping it's not going to be like... Mm-hmm. at each other's throats. I'm hoping that they've at least like, yeah, we all are broken, but we have each other. That's mm-hmm. what I'm hoping. Because they, uh... But, oh, sorry, really fast. She's very sheltered. Yeah. Like, she's in, she's never been outside the world, so I do feel that is a disadvantage for her because, yeah. like, she knows the gentility of the noble court. Like, she knows... The sign of need. Like, she knows how to function in higher society. But, but she... <laughs> yeah. Okay. She doesn't know much else. We'll go see. And uh, the chapter ends with one of the brothers running out to talk to him to be like, hey, we have a problem. Emily, what's the problem? He says, how large a problem? Wiccan says, pretty big, I'd say. Come on. That's where the chapter ends. We don't know. All right. Interlude 3. Who's in it? Seth is back! I am so excited to have this person back. I missed him so much. And I think that's one of the reasons I put this book down the first time, is Seth didn't show back up, and I was like, that's stupid. (laughs) Seth! Seth! So his chapter is called The Glory of Ignorance, and the picture on his his chapter, quote-unquote, is the same one as that was on the first one. So, that's, that's his, uh, who's in his arch? Women. And eyeballs with keyholes in them. Uh, do the women have headbands? Yes. Okay. So, that's who's there. We'll have to go through and see if you can pick out different carvings. Who's who? Um, really fast. The glory of ignorance. Uh, we, where is Seth these days? Seth is in a wooden tavern, beer soaking through his trousers, uh, and he's like, his clothing is is shot. Like, he hasn't summoned his shard blade in years, in the five years since he'd assassinated the king, um, and he says it felt equally long since he'd had a bath. He did not complain. If he looked like a wretch, people treated him as a wretch. One did not ask a wretch to assassinate people. 
Mm, I feel so bad for him. It's so funny because like Brandon does such a good job of clearly describing what he looks like. I always picture him in his white assassin gear, <laughs> like always. But um, yeah, he's he's sitting over these drinks. We find out a little bit more about what orders he was given when it was time to kill. What were his specific orders? His specific orders from his previous master, not his current master, because he has a new master now. Yep. But his uh, previous masters had given him. Hold on, I I know where. Where it is. Okay. Let's see. Seth, the way his life, I guess, is set up, anyone that holds his oath stone, like, basically owns him, and he is required to do anything that they ask him to, except he cannot kill himself. Yeah. I think that's the only thing he can't do. He can't kill himself, or he can't allow himself to die, I think. And so he he talks about that evening five years ago still haunted them. Before then, he had been ordered to kill, but always in secret, silently. Never before had he been given such deliberate, terrible instructions. And the instructions were, kill, destroy, and cut your way to the king. Be seen doing it. Leave witnesses wounded but alive. So he was had been ordered five years ago to make this a show. Yeah. Which it was. He did a good job at that. Did an excellent job. So too good. Too good. Uh so he is he refers to himself as truthless. And we mm-hmm. find out a little bit more about that. He's got something called an oath stone. Mm-hmm. Whoever holds his oath stone, like you mentioned, whoever holds his oath stone can order Seth to do anything. And we see that in in motion. Yeah. Um from his current master took. And he's basic. Took is basically showing off to Seth, his friends. To his friends, he orders them to jump up and down, which he does. Stand up, pour beer on his head, and he then orders him to cut himself, which he does. And everyone gets really like uncomfortable, uncomfortable. Clearly. And then he says, "Okay, cut your throat." And that's when Seth says, "I'm forbidden to take my own life." Like clearly, there are rules set in place. Yeah. And I don't know if this is a magical compulsion, or if this is an oath that he took and for his culture you break your oath i don't know if it's you'll be you know eternal damnation in the next life or you'll be punished or whatever Mm -hmm. but seth is all in to whatever this oath stone thing is yeah um Um, so he and his new master they they leave the bar uh after kind of like this demonstration and they are beset upon in the alleyway by uh, bad guys. I'm sure there's a better word for that. So, uh, Riggins. <laughs> so yeah, Took is drunk. Drunk. He's been trying to get people to buy him drinks all night. Wasted! <laughs> and it talks about, Seth mentions that Took considers himself very well traveled, but Seth is like, he has a very small circle that he travels in and he thinks it, he thinks himself well traveled. Um, and so. He realizes that his master's been killed, like, just right in front of him in the dark alleyway. Uh, so they're they're looting the body. They're looting Took's body. They don't bother with Seth because he's Shin, right? Yeah, he's Shin. They're like, he's not going to hurt anybody. And so as they, they're looting Took's body, they come across... They come across a twinkling sphere-sized chunk of rock from the hand of the man counting the spheres that they've taken off Took. It was fairly ordinary, a simple piece of rock with a few quartz crystals set into it and a rusty vein of iron on one side. 
They're like, what is this? And I'm like, yeah, it's worthless. I am required to tell you, Seth said quietly, that you are holding my oath stone. So long as you possess it, you are my master. And so I feel like these guys are a little smarter than Took because they're like, tell us exactly what that means. Like they want to know, lay this out. What what are we getting ourselves into? Um, I must obey you, Seth said, in all things, though I will not follow in order to kill myself. He also couldn't be ordered to give up his blade, but there was no need to mention it at the moment. And so they're like, you're going to obey me no matter what you say, what I say. And Seth says, yes. And they're like, interesting. And that's where the chapter ends. So these were a uh, little amuse-bouche, little quick bites of different places around the world. What were you thinking? I thought it was really clever. It was a very clever way to introduce the world and the stories outside of our regular point of view characters because um okay this is going to sound really simplistic and easy but like Shalon doesn't know what's happening back at home and she could wonder about it but all of her focus has to be on tricking Yasna Kalin and so I don't think she's going to be putting a whole lot of brain power over to what her brothers are doing and thinking about the way that life was and blah 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 she's very she seems to be a very forward thinker and so to introduce non-Balat um in this way to give a different slice of her life just enriches her character yeah because like you know she's got her own she's got her own almost quest that she's on Mm -hmm. and like you said it wouldn't be interesting if she spent a lot of time remembering uh what happened back at home yeah I don't know if the Ishik chapter is just, hey, here's your hoid moment of the mm-hmm. book, or if that's going to become a bigger piece. So that'll be fun to find out. I want to Megan's tell like you. opening and closing her mouth like, ah, mm, ah, mm. I want to tell you a thing. At this point, when The Way of Kings came out, people were piecing together already clues about the Cosmere. And... I think the the Ishik chapter is more about the general overarching Cosmere connective tissue than it is immediately about the Way of Kings book itself. Um, So there is some stuff in there that eagle-eyed readers intent on more Cosmere hints and content would have have had more more juice with. But you knew that there was a hoid. And he was mentioned here, and you're like, I know who that is. So, like, <laughs> even though you're not, let's say, shin deep in the costume, <laughs> neck deep, um, that still was, like, fun, tantalizing hints for you. That, yeah. and, and we'll see what, what more comes of it. And it was also a fun snapshot into, like, the Pure Lakes. Like, I don't know if any of the rest of the story takes place in the Pure Lakes, but it's just fun to, like... Yeah, I mean, know like, what the world is. clearly our our point of view characters from part one, Kaladin and Shallant, are not probably going to make it to the Pure Lake because it's, it's far from where <laughs> they both are. It's especially far from where Kaladin is. Speaking of, so those were the interludes. Okay. We're going to move into part two. Woohoo! And so I'm going to give you a little bit of on-air introduction to part two because, first off, we have a new map. Oh, no! Part two is called The Illuminating Storms. And at the beginning of each part, it tells us which characters are going to be our point of view characters. Okay. So for part one, we had Kaladin and Shallan. For part two, we have 
Dalinar, Kaladin, and Adolin. But not Shallan? I don't want to read this anymore. (laughs) (laughs) It's a... And it's so funny that I've been telling you and I've been telling you, we have three main points of view characters. I always forget that Adolin counts as a main point of view character. (laughs) Nothing against Adolin. This is a character I love very much. I'm very excited for you to meet Dalinar and Adolin. I'm going to show you the new map. I'm going to read you the first epigraph. And then I'm going to read you the first sentence of part two. She... You guys, you can't see this, but she, Meg's gone through and basically put sticky notes, like, for every, like, read between this sticky note and this sticky note for this chunk of chapters. And then she'll go through on the last page, goes to the next page, and covers it in sticky notes so I don't accidentally read ahead. (laughs) All right. Emily, I want you to look at this new map and talk to our audience about it. Ew. It looks like a bunch of broken... Is this a shattered plane? Yes. (laughs) You, it looks like a bunch of broken. <laughs> Listen, I have a Bachelor of Science for my English degree, which means I had to take a lot of geology, which does not interest me. And I all of a sudden I was like, it's like one of those those maps where it has like the height of the mountain and everything. Uh-huh. And I was just like, do I have to know mountain height? I was not interested you don't, in that. You don't. Okay. Uh, read read the caption to it. It says, prime map of the Shattered Plains. In the east, one can clearly note the tower, the largest plateau of the area. War camps are visible in the west. Glyph pairs and plateau numbers have been removed to preserve the clarity of this smaller reproduction of the original, hanging in His Majesty El Hokar's Gallery of Maps. That's Colin's brother, Shalon? Not yes. <laughs> Yasna Colin's brother. Yes. I'm getting it. That's amazing. Thank you. Hey, uh, look in the west. I there's one, two, three. I can four, save you some time. Five. There, there, are ten. There's ten. <laughs> <laughs> so these little circles that are are the towns, the ten towns. So in part one, we had a map of just the war camp that Kaladin was in, and you saw like the scale of it with the the barracks and the starting line and the shops and like everything and there are 10 of those cool um look at the art a little more here you didn't sorry. do it good enough no, the no, first no, sorry. time not the, not the map although oh. can you point out the tower which they said was the largest plateau uh in the it's just the chunk east? that's the biggest on the right hand side this one yep there nice. it is nice thanks we're looking at the the chapter now it has it looks like robin hood and a king. So two men. One is a crowned crowned man. The other one has a mask on. So it looks like mm-hmm. Robin Hood. It has a hat, sort of like Robin Hood. And then there's the two eyes with the keyholes in them. All right. And now you pointed out Seth's little uh, illustration. Yep. Look at this little chapter illustration. It is a shield with a, like a representation, I'm assuming, of a castle. And like a, there's like a door and a window. Or is it A for like Aleth Carr? No, no, no. Okay, it's just a representation. It looks like a rook with a door and a window. And underneath it is a crown, fancy crown. So when Kaladin first made it to the Shattered Plains in part one, he saw a flag with two stylized glyphs on it mm-hmm. that looked like a tower and a crown. That is oh. Kulk and Linnel. And it is the. Palindromes. <laughs> yep. 
Uh, it is. Oh, the- stop. What? Stop. Okay. Listeners. This is what I've had to put up with. What? Megan has this jacket. What? That she comes out That's wearing not the jacket. <laughs> multiple times a week. And she comes up to me and she goes, do you know what this symbol is? And I'm like, is it the Cosmere? Nope. <laughs> okay, what is it? I'm not going to tell you because you haven't learned it yet. And she's done that like four times I've to me. I've done it twice. So many times. Coke and Linnell. Are that, italicized. Yes. And they simplify to Colin, which is... The royal house. That's very cool. So we're going to talk about the epigraph next week. I'm going to read you the first little paragraph of part two. Today, King Elokar announced, riding beneath the bright open sky, is an excellent day to slay a god, wouldn't you say? Ah, I like it. <gasps> Are the gods inside the chrysalises on the tower planes? Rafo. <laughs> I got a Rafo shirt this week. I'm so excited. So next week, we will be reading chapters 12, 13, and 14. Unity, 10 heartbeats. 10. 10. <laughs> Is that a Kaladin chapter? And Payday. Ooh, that could also be a Kaladin chapter. Unity and Ten Heartbeats are split between Adolin and Dalinar. We'll go we'll go back and forth between them. And Payday is a Kaladin chapter. Nice. And yes, Emily, you are correct. I'm so sorry. There is no Shallan in part two. That's ginger erasure. <laughs> She's just busy. Part two is gonna take us all the way to page five hundred and thirty. We already written five hundred pages in this book. That's so many. And we are going to see Shallan again in part three. Oh, yay. So there you go. So we won't see her for part two um, because you have to meet Dalinar and Adolin. Cool. You've heard Dalinar's name twice before in this book. Is he one of the princes? Do you want me to tell you where you've heard him before? Or do yes. You... Tell okay. me at least where I've heard him. Don't tell me who he is, but tell me where I've heard him. You heard it in the prologue. And you've heard it when Kaladin got to the Shattered Plains. Is he one of the heralds? You're not going to tell me. I'm not going to tell you. So mean. After I told you specifically not to tell me. (laughs) All right. Well, everybody, nothing happened in Supernatural this week because Supernatural's (laughs) over. It's over. I am so excited for next week's reading. Time to put my thumb on the scale. Dalinar is my favorite after Kaladin in this book. (laughs) Sorry, everyone, to add my own bias into this podcast. Uh, I'm very excited for Emily to meet Dalinar and Adolin. Uh, We will catch up with you soon. But for now, I've got to get back to storyboarding. i got to go work on my book submission. I believe in you. I believe in you. Break! Thus endeth part one of The Way of Kings. I mean, technically part one already ended, but you know, part one interludes. But listen, we don't have time for that anymore because, oh my goodness, it's time to meet some Colins. Ah! I'm very excited for part two to start. 
Uh, special thanks to Michael B. and Cardi for the use of his song, A Passing Storm, for our intro and outro. When I'm done with my current episode of work, you can find more stuff from us on Twitter, Tumblr, and Instagram at SisMadeMeViewIt or on our website, www.SisMadeMeViewIt.com. Currently, Emily and I are in a little bit of a ratings battle for ratings. Oh, <laughs> you guys, I'm so tired. Okay, wait, I can do this. Focus, Panda, focus. Listen, I need you guys to rate and review The Wave Kings, okay? You can rate and review the other podcasts as well. Just wait until after September 30th because my one podcast is up against Emily's two podcasts and the winner gets bought dinner. And I'm going to make her buy me something really good. Maybe Nirvana Tofu from that one Indian place I like. Anyway, gosh, okay, that's it. Uh, I love you all. <laughs> Bye.